All right, welcome back to Nerd is the New Cool. My name is Justin, and with me as always, my good friend John. What's up, man? Not much, man. How you been? I've been really great. And honestly, I've been really great because I'm super excited about this new episode format. Like, we're just switching stuff up. We're getting bonkers. I love it. No, I think this is going to be... This is this is going to be great. It's going to open up a world of possibilities. Yeah. So as you've probably seen from the title, we're talking about the best breakup films. But we're not doing it the way we've done in the past. What we're doing is we've chosen our two favorites and we're going to compare them. And yes, I mean, maybe are these the two best breakup movies of all time? Arguably not, but they're our favorites. And so that's what, you get to, that's what you get to hear about, though, because we are super excited about them. I mean, we had to choose two. And that's very hard to do. We could have chosen five, but then this episode would take forever. Yeah. And so we, two, we chose two, and they have very different you know, types. Of, they're different types of movies. But we're going to get down to it. We're going to break it down, and we're going to talk about why these two are the best, and maybe even come out with a clear winner. We're going to see. So, quick disclaimer. Uh, this, episode, sorry, this episode is definitely going to be a rated R episode just because of the subject and really because of the movies that we're covering as well. Um, And speaking of the movies, we are going to be talking about forgetting Sarah Marshall versus high fidelity. Who broke up better? Who broke up better? Indeed. So a little bit of background. This isn't a category yet. This is just what is kind of, but we're not going to compare the two forgetting Sarah Marshall. According to IMDb, here's the, the summary of it. Devastated Peter takes a Hawaiian vacation in order to deal with the recent breakup with his TV star girlfriend, Sarah. Little does he know, Sarah's traveling to the same resort as her ex, and she's bringing along her new boyfriend. End quote. It debuted April 18th, 2008. The other movie we're discussing is High Fidelity. Also, according to IMDb, Rob, a record store owner and compulsive list maker, recounts his top five breakups, including the one in progress. It debuted March 31st of 2000. All right. So real, real simple summary. Now let's get into the categories. First off, the ranking. So forgetting Sarah Marshall, according to Rotten Tomatoes, 83% and a 7.1 on IMDb. And I got to say, that's pretty good for a comedy. Comedies usually don't get high rating percentages. They kind of get shit on. And a lot of times it's, it's like the, the um, you know, I, I don't know, the, the, the dramatic Godfather type movies that get the super high ratings on, no, on totally. those two sites. High Fidelity, uh, 91% on Rotten Tomatoes and 7.5 on IMDb. I think we got to give this to High Fidelity though because High Fidelity is definitely a better movie. Yeah, I think it is. It's it's still it's funny in its own right, but it's not. It doesn't try to be funny, <laughs> right? It's more of a dark humor type situation. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's break down the writer. And so the writers of both these films have really unique, different kind of um, ways they're coming at this film. The writer of Forgetting Sir Marshall is actually the main character, Jason Siegel. He's got six other writing credits, including Get Him the Greek which is kind of a sequel to this. The Muppets that I love, and I don't mind saying it. Big fan of the Muppets movie. And also the five-year engagement, which is one of those movies, Emily Blunt is amazing in it, that is, I think, underrated. Five-year engagement is pretty freaking hilarious. I have not seen it. Oh, man. 
if you like this movie, you're, you'll you'd love Five Year Engagements. Fantastic. Well, then I will have to check it out. I didn't realize Jason Siegel wrote it. Uh, High Fidelity, um, the primary writer, Nick Hornby, and he has 18 credits to his resume, and he's written a lot of books and screenplays, uh, specifically Fever Pitch, About a Boy, and he also wrote the uh, is the writer for the new High Fidelity, New High Fidelity show, which debuted this year and stars Zoe Kravitz. John Cusack is also credited as a writer, and he's got five credits. He was a screenplay writer for Gross Point Blank, another one of his films. Okay, so the question here is, do we reward writers based on like future movies they've written, quality of the writing in the actual film, or do we say, I mean, this, this, these, they got a lot of writing chops here, so we're going to give it to them. I'm leaning towards high fidelity a little bit for this one as well. I would. So, and I think from a, from a writing perspective, from a, like, I don't think we should reward like that guy's got a bigger resume because he could have a bigger resume, but this could be crap. Neither, neither of these movies are crap, but like, I want to focus on like, which, which film do we think is better written? Throwing everything else out. Okay. Well then I think we still got to go with high fidelity on this one though. And I'm, 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 I'm kind of, I'm hesitant to pick Nick Hornby because he did write Fever Pitch, and that's like a Boston Red Sox like love story, and I freaking hate it. Totally. But besides that, I like About a Boy, John Cusack, and Gross Point Blank. I mean, the writing of this film, too, is, is very clever. It is. It is very well written. All right. High Fidelity. You win the writing category. On to Director. This one's going to be harder. Ah, no, that's not true. This one will be just as easy, I think. The director, if we're getting Sir Marshall, his name is Nicholas Stoller. He has 11 credits of directing, also including the, the, the new Muppet film, so both of them. Neighbors, Neighbors 2, also the five-year engagement, and Get in the Greek. So him and Jason Siegel, you can kind of tell, are, are, are buddies. They definitely team up. Lots of comedies. Yeah. And then for High Fidelity, the director was Stephen Frears. And his... He's got quite a few. He's got 67 to his name. Uh, uh, some of the more notable ones was The Grifters, which also had Cusack in it. Hero, which I don't know if you've seen that. I saw that a long time ago. It got Dustin Hoffman yeah. in it. It's actually a pretty good movie. Doesn't it have Sigourney and, Weaver in it too? Yes. Yeah. And then Philomena, which stars Dame Judi Dench. I mean, you know, I hate to keep saying high fidelity but that those are some pretty good directing i mean he's got a lot more credits as well but just those three films alone kind of give it to him those are those are superior directed films i think totally now i mean listen directing a movie with muppets in it is is i'm sure a challenge don't you think no i think so i mean how are you (laughs) supposed to how are you supposed to say give me more expression right give me more you're you're dealing with more anger more power you deal, with the, you deal with the muppet and the puppet master i mean that's a lot going on here so I, I, you know let's give him a nod to nicholas stoller however stephen freer's high fidelity i think you take this one another one for high fidelity high fidelity is ranking up or racking these things up all right now we're into the movie best main characters forgetting sarah marshall first of all the main character is jason siegel he plays peter brutter there are a couple things i want to say about this first of all <laughs> we get introduced to him with basically fr- full frontal nudity, so good for him. And apparently, the story is that he obviously is very nervous, and he, well, not to be crude, but uh, you know, 
when you're on set with lots of people around, I'm sure there's a little bit of stage fright there. So he, he, he would, uh, you know, help himself out a little bit as to not be super embarrassed. So that, that's probably the least crude way I could put that. Yes. Um, yes, I think that's I think, about the only way you can put it. Yeah. Okay. Something else about his acting, by the way, he cries a lot in this movie. Oh my <laughs> which, God. Which, okay. So here's one of my favorite quotes when Rachel calls up from the desk and he's, and she says, uh, hi, Peter, this is Rachel Jensen from the front desk. What's going on up there? We're getting calls about a woman crying hysterically. And he says, yeah, I hear it too. It sounds like she's having a real rough time. I think it's coming from the floor above me. And she says, you're on the top floor. <laughs> <laughs> he says i'll try and I'll keep try it to, down i'll try to keep it down <laughs> yes something else i got to put out there is that when he's in the recording studio again seagull is a freaking talented dude he's in the recording studio and he's and he's you know he's 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 the one that does the music for the show crime scene scene of the crime scene of the crime <laughs> he's, he starts playing the seinfeld song as a joke i mean i so I, anyway seagull does a really good job i think we can agree the other, think, uh, yeah, the, he, there, totally. there's basically there's basically four main characters in both these movies, which is kind of it works out pretty well symmetrically. Kristen Bell plays Sarah Marshall, and again we mentioned crime scene, scene of the crime. Also going to have a role in Animal Instincts if you watch the credits. I mean, let's not forget about that. Both popular NBC shows for sure. Couldn't you see? I mean, both these shows like really actually pretty much exist in real life, don't they? Well, they totally do with all the spinoffs they're doing off CSI. I mean, that's basically I mean, all this is. It's just poking fun at that. I rewatched this the other day and I said to the wife, I said, couldn't you see NBC making a show about a detective that can listen to dog and cat, like can hear their inside their head. Does, I mean, that's something they would do. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Mila Kunis plays Rachel Jensen. Fun fact about that. There's a pic in there where she's nude. It's actually not her. That was a Photoshop picture of a body double. So, you know, just wanted to put that out there. And finally, Russell Brand plays Aldous Snow. So, who, who, which of these main characters are you are you, are you giving it to? Who, who does the best job of these four? Yeah, these four. I don't know. They're all really. They're all really good, and they all they all played the roles really well. Um. I lean towards probably either Jason Siegel or honestly Russell Brand because he was really good in that playing that role. Let's give it to Siegel because I think we got an award for Russell Brand later on. Okay. All right. High fidelity. <laughs> High fidelity. So we've got John Cusack plays Rob Gordon, the main character. Um, Ibn, I don't even know how to pronounce her last Hygel. Sure. It's it's H J E J L E for those of you listening at home. She plays Laura, the ex-girlfriend. Todd Luizzo as Dick and Jack Black as Barry Judd. So this is hard because I feel like all these characters having seen them in other movies, they all they're all just kind of playing themselves. I don't think anyone's like overacting, getting crazy here. I, I personally like I I First, I identify most with John Cusack in this movie, with with <laughs> with breakups and like looking back and like looking at all the relationships and wanting to revisit them. Not mm-hmm. that I've done that, but I, I I totally can can empathize with this guy. Like I like I side with him. So I'm I'm going with Cusack. Black is pretty good, but don't you just feel like he, 
the director was like, hey, Black, just act like yourself. And he's like, all right. Starts doing, you know what I mean? Like, that's just him. He's basically doing his Tenacious D character. And I think that's, just, I, I think, I don't think he was acting. He was just acting normal. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and it's, and again, you know, I just watched this yesterday and was thinking about that. And we'll, we'll get into it a little bit more as far as like his role in the movie. Um, you can he was made for the part and i think you can kind of tell that so yeah i don't think he had to do a lot of acting it was just uh, whether whether he was specifically told like hey just be yourself or he just read the script and said yep this is pretty much me so this is going to be easy like whichever one happened like what he did on the screen is probably not far from like the person that you see in interviews and like the way he does on like talk shows or anything like that, where he's just kind of outlandish and just kind of does whatever he wants to. And it's just so accepted. I'm, so I'm thinking, I'm thinking we go with John Cusack on this one. And, yeah. you know, if we're talking about best main character cast, I mean, I think we got to go for getting Sarah Marshall, right? I, 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 think, mean, I think we do too. Yeah. I mean, Absolutely. those four, those four just bring it. And, and listen, the other characters from, from High Fidelity are, are fantastic. However, Man, I mean, those four. That, I mean, that, that's like that's like Murderer's Row right there. I mean, well, they, they are. If you're, if you're talking about the group, like comparing that group to another group, yes, I would totally say that the, the sum of those parts is greater than than High Fidelity. Totally. All right, secondary characters. This is going to be. This is going to get increasingly hard. By the way, yeah, this is secondary really characters. Hard. Let's talk about a couple from Forgetting Sarah Marshall. We got Bill Hader. We got Liz Kikowski. Who who plays li- like his, like Bill Hader's wife? We got Maria Thayer, and and she's she's uh, Jack McBriar's wife, new newlywed wife. She's she's an accepted and hitch. I've, I just said Jack McBriar. He's obviously in that. We got Steve Landisberg who plays the doctor, the 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 pediatrician actually <laughs> that, that 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 Brenner goes to at some point because he worries he has an STD. And again, he's a he's a pediatrician. <laughs> Just remember that Jonah Hill. I mean, he pops in there. This is like fat Jonah Hill, kind of medium, medium fat Jonah Hill. He plays one of the waiters, and then we can't forget about Paul Rudd as Kunu. <clears throat> Great. Okay, so that, that's a pretty good list. What What do we got for High Fidelity? I mean, that's, that's going to be tough to beat. <clears throat> it is tough to beat High Fidelity. We have Lisa Bonet, who plays Marie DeSalle, whose daughter Zoe Kravitz is is the main character for the TV show remake. So. And looks just like her. Uh, Catherine really Zeta, Catherine Zeta, Catherine Zeta Jones plays Charlie Nicholson, one of one of Rob's many exes that he goes through. You have Joan Cusack as Liz, and then you also have Tim Ro- Tim Robbins as Ian Raymond, the the rebound guy. I guess is probably the best way to describe him. Yeah. The okay so. This is tough because I feel like high fidelity. Those four like secondary categories or or characters. Those four actors are like big time actors, right? Catherine Zeta Jones and Tim Robbins alone are well more well known than the rest of these people basically combined. True, but there's a lot of really good funny characters in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. I'm leaning towards high fidelity, but but I I I could be persuaded. It's just a hard. It's a hard. It's like they're, they're different. They're good for different reasons. It's funny because let's call it a tie. I think we, you know, I think we got to call it 
Maybe I called a tie because I was actually leaning the other way just because. Yeah. Well, now and nowadays, too, Bill Hader is so well-known. Jonah Hill is so well-known. Paul Rudd, obviously, now that he's in the MCU, even before that. And that guy hasn't aged for 30 years. He's looked the same in Clueless that he looks now. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's uncanny. I want to know what it doesn't make any sense. he's on. He's doing good stuff. Okay, so we're going to call that a tie. We can do that because we're in charge. Yeah, I like a tie. All right, so I, I threw this category in here. This is fun. Best deep cut characters. So, like, they make little small appearances, which is kind of fun. So, forgetting Sarah Marshall. Billy Baldwin. I mean, he, you know, and Jason Bateman are both the side characters in, 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 in Sarah Marshall's two TV shows. Billy Baldwin mm-hmm. and Jason Bateman is pretty good. Cynthia Nixon actually pops in in the background. And he's he's mocking Jason's Jason Siegel is mocking mocking or mocking Sex in the City at some point, but she actually is in the show in the movie, which is funny. <laughs> and then in the unrated cut, and this is a big scene that people really love. The, if you watch the unrated version, or even like the the directors, you know the, uh, the which extra, I did extra, extra scenes, right? Mm-hmm. Kristen Wiig does a little cameo as a yoga instructor who who really is into Aldous Snow, and that scene's pretty hilarious if you if you've seen it. It actually cool. is really hilarious. Um, high fidelity, not as many, but some deep cuts. Um, most notably Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, he's like having a conversation with Cusack at one point. When when he's talking about you know revisiting his his top five, mm-hmm. uh, there's lots of Cusacks. There's not just those two. The father, Dick Cusack, is also in it, and then Susie, their sister, is also in this film. Small bit small bit roles but there's four cusacks in this film mm-hmm. and then another deleted scene that you don't see if you just see the normal version you don't see it but harold ramus actually plays rob's dad which i'm not sure i i don't know if that's a great cast or not but harold ramus is is obviously i mean he's he's an og he's great he is an og and he plays a good dad he played a good he dad and i'm uh and knocked up yeah when he that's was... <laughs> Yeah, he does play a good dad. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I, I mean, listen, Bruce Springsteen and Harold Ramis, I think also I take take the 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 award here as far as most notoriety. But, but man, I got I I'm going with with forgetting Sarah Marshall just because uh, you throw Bateman and Baldwin and even Kristen Wiig in there. I, this is this is a hard one too. I don't know. This I, is a, this is a, this might be a tie as well. This is a hard one because I agree. Like. All right, let's go tie again. I know. Sorry, sorry, everyone, but we, that's just a hard. That's a hard category, and you know what? There doesn't need to be a winner on all these categories. This next no. one though is going to be tough. This next one, we're talking scenes, and so, I mean, basically, <laughs> what are your favorite scenes from each movie? So let's start with forgetting Sir Marshall. I mean, too many. I mean, just the opening, the opening scene, where he's in his sweatpants, he comes out of the shower, he drops his towel. Like there's that whole thing um, when he's getting dumped, and then there's another, there's another, there's another like throwback scene to his sweatpants. I kind of throwing like basically when he's in his apartment where she where she says you wore you wore sweatpants for a whole week for a a week straight. Yep, it shows him and he goes, "Thou shall not pass." Lord of the Rings. Yeah, he's he's reacting. Yeah, he's reenacting Lord of the Rings. (laughs) I mean, that's a great scene. I another great one is when they're in the bar and he's he's trying to get over Sarah and he's trying to pick up pick up uh, bar bar ladies, and <laughs> he's with Hater and Hater's like, "Why are we here? This isn't a place that we go." 
and Brian says, Peter says, you don't need to put your P in a V right now. And Peter says, no, but I need to be my L on some T's. It's just freaking amazing. <laughs> oh man, I, Bill Hader really brings it in this movie. He really, he really does. Um, probably like, I don't know. Like, I think one of my favorite, any scene with Kunu in it is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> like, especially the, the first one where he's sorry, but it's like, I want to, I want to learn how to surf. So he's like, all right, you got to do nothing. You don't think no, do, you just do, do, no, do, do less. less. Do all less. Right, pop up. All right. Do less. No, to get back down. You did it wrong. All right. Do less. Pop up. And then he and ends then, up just laying there. He's like, no, no, now you're not doing anything. Now, now you're just boogie boarding. Like, what are you doing right now? Pop up. <laughs> he goes, oh, we'll figure it out. Let's go. Yeah, we'll just go. We'll just, we'll just go out there. Let's just do it. And then even later in that scene where he's talking about, it's like, I stopped wearing a watch when I came out here. He's like, oh, that's so cool. It's like, yeah, I got a, I got, you know, my phone's got a clock on it. So I don't, I don't need to wear a watch. <laughs> Well, and like this is this is a later on scene, but again, we're back to with Kunu, and and and, and Peter shows up and says, "I want to learn how to." He's I want to like, like, ride giants. I'm gonna ride giants. He goes, "I don't think you're ready, man. I want to do it. I think you're ready. I think you're ready." <laughs> <laughs> and then he sees Aldous in the in the water, and he and he's and he starts splashing him. He's like, "Oh, what about the code of the ocean, mate? All right." <laughs> and then and then you know there's there's the accident and he's laying on the on the uh on the sand you know on the beach and and paul rudd goes you sound like you're from london London. (laughs) (laughs) all right so i I, again i'm gonna do i'm gonna keep doing my terrible all the snow impersonation so i apologize ahead of time (laughs) when they check into the hotel okay checking in the hotel is super awkward but also funny but then when aldis shows up and he's only got one shoe and he goes, excuse me, miss, I've lost a shoe like this one. It's like this one's fellow. It's sort of the exact opposite, in fact, of that. Not an evil version, of course, but, you know, a shoe like this. <laughs> like he's describing what another, like what a, se- what a second shoe looks like to the exactly. front desk, As if exactly. no one knows. <laughs> That's a good scene. That's a good scene. And then, you know, skipping around, talking about the, when he sings the Dracula mu- musical song at the bar. You know, after yeah. after everything, and and Mila Kunis, Rachel, you know, convinces them to go up singing. He's like, "No, I can sing." You know, I can sing anything else. And she's Dracula musical. And he leads. He leans into the mic and goes, "Thank you, thank you." Because <laughs> she has no, because she has no idea what he's going to play. She just knows that he's working on something, and and then he dives into it, and she's just kind of like the look on her face is like, "Oh, this is." Hmm. I I love that song. If someone sang that song at a bar, I would be like, "This is awesome." This is I want to see. Uh, we're going to talk about the Dracula musical later, but I would definitely listen we to will. that song. That, that sound songs is freaking awesome. And then speaking of singing, um, Aldous singing inside of you <laughs> at the head yeah. of breakfast. Yeah, Jonah Hill gets him to go on stage. He starts singing it. He's acting all coy, and then he gets up there and he starts like doing this weird thrusting, like spider humping of the stage, looking at looking at Sarah Marshall. And then, I mean, one of the best quotes from the movie is, it's so, it's, and it's so like subtle. Jonah Hill goes, oh, I just went from six to midnight. <laughs> and yeah. Peter just kind of looks at him like, what? Right. As he's adjusting his, his pants. <laughs> oh my God. So I, I like both of the video conferences also with, with Bill Hader kind of back, back home. 
and the first one of course you know liz his sister is he's going no my she's not here i swear and all of a sudden she pops into the screen hi peter like oh hi liz and then later on they're doing the same thing but this time she's what she's leaning into the he's going lean up lean lean in no no lean back away from the microphone no 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 not closer no 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 away yeah no no, not closer and bill Hader says i know what you're doing (laughs) that's a great necklace were you wearing that before (laughs) oh that's gross (laughs) yeah okay so those are both those are both really and and again those scenes are just so they're so simple and 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 honestly nowadays i mean how how much can we i mean how much can you actually relate to that now He's changing the background on the video chat. That that's basically how we live life now, which I think is really no, that's ahead absolutely of its time. how we're living ahead life. of ahead of its time. That's two thousand eight. I could do that right now on this video chat. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> I can't. My video court card is all messed up. So I really like the hiking scene too, where Peter. That's that's when him and and uh, and Mila Kunis really Rachel like really hit it off, and they're yeah. they're they're hiking. I guess they hit it off the night before that, but but definitely here is when they first kiss and and it was very symbolic of you know getting over your fears jump off the cliff but of course he screws it up and he's hanging on the <laughs> take the leap yep yeah and, and finally he falls down anyway i think that scene is is it's it's nice it shows kind of like it's 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 a it's a sentimental moment in what you would consider not a very sentimental movie no definitely but also, th- but also throws some humor into it <laughs> so there's a couple more scenes near the end we have to certainly talk about. And the first one is the, the dinner. dinner, the dinner. The dinner. Yeah. <laughs> and, and there's so many great moments. This, the first part of it, I mean, the, the dinner basically begins with as soon as they walk up and all this goes, Oh fuck, this is a small resort. Because <laughs> right in front of them, there's right Peter, there. Peter and Rachel. And then Jonah Hills, re- <laughs> Jonah Hill, I'm sorry. Aldous, I didn't, I didn't see you there. You may have to wait for a few minutes. And then Aldous is like, it's really fine. There's no need to weep. <laughs> I'm, I'm not crying. I'm not crying. I'm not crying. And then, well, and even, then of course. And even, even before that, like the disagreement on the shirt. The shirt that oh, he's yeah. wearing. <laughs> which which comes the, into play. Yeah. Which, to, which comes into play during the dinner because he didn't want to wear the shirt. And then Sarah Marshall thinks back of like all the gifts that she brought Peter. And it's like that he just hated, like she bought him a man purse and like a weird bowler hat and just a few other things. And it's just, well, that, yeah. The, yeah, the flashback to the scene in the bar where the lady goes, nice hat. And he goes, thanks. And she goes, I'm, I'm fucking, fucking with you. With you. <laughs> and he goes, all right, you can't hear. <laughs> yeah. All the things that he's wearing is just, are just the worst. They're just so bad. She is not, she doesn't have very good taste in gifts. And he's rocking this Tommy Bahama shirt now. And that old, the other older guy walks by with the same shirt and like points to him and goes, Hey, thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> the eldest. Oh, isn't he just miserable? But that scene continues. It gets so awkward. And they're, they're getting into like this philosophical conversation. He spills the drink on himself and goes, Oh no, take my eyes. <laughs> not the shirt. Not, not the shirt. I've actually improved it a bit. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. So of course, and then that leads to another great scene. Yes. Um, so the dueling sex, because Peter starts out in the sleep, but then he, they end up having to move him because who, Dakota Fanning shows up. And so then they put him at the only room available, which is adjoining to Sarah Marshall's room. After this sure. dinner, they end up having, you know, who basically having a contest of who can have the louder sex because they can hear each other through the wall. 
And yeah. <laughs> while on one side you have you have Peter and Rachel like genuinely having sex, and you know, and they can hear it, so they're 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 actually enjoying themselves, but they're making it a little bit, you know, they're, they're screaming pretty much as loud as they can. On the other side, you basically have Sarah Marshall <laughs> raping out of snow <laughs> and and faking it as hard as she possibly can while she's on top of him. And he says, he says, you should have seen yourself at dinner, Sarah. Then you come back here and put on this ghastly performance. I mean, I've heard of women do fake orgasms, but I've never seen one. It really upset me. <laughs> yeah, and that's, so that's basically they're breaking up. And he says, well, I'm going to nod off for a moment. Or he goes, I'm, I'm going to, what does he say? He's, gonna, he's leaving basically the next day. Yeah, he's going to leave the next morning. Yep. And, and, and at some point he says, yeah, well, I fucked the housekeeper last night. Well, she says, so. she says, I hate your music. He says, oh, well, yeah. I fucked the housekeeper yesterday. <laughs> yeah, just amazing. Okay, so then that scene, that, I mean, that's such a good scene. But then yeah. we get to the next day, and Sarah is super sad. And she's trying to get back with Peter. And, you know, she starts to, uh, they start to get hot and heavy. And then he can't, you know, get, get ready. He's not able to perform. Can't get it up. <laughs> And, and, and she says, what's wrong with you? Is there something wrong with you? And he says, he says, excuse me, no, I haven't had anything to drink today. Maybe the problem is that you broke my heart in a million pieces, and so my cock doesn't want to be around you anymore, okay? Ever. Because you know what? I just realized you're the goddamn devil. <laughs> <laughs> and then he runs out and, and, and goes to tell Rachel. And, and I think that's just, it's a, you know, it's one of those scenes that you don't, you would think you don't need it, but I think it's super necessary to show that he's totally over it. And he, and, and he made a mistake. He's making a mistake. And it totally, I don't want to say it's justified, but it makes sense if you think about the way that people, he's there pining over this girlfriend that he broke up with four or five days ago. No, totally. It's, it's totally realistic in that break up with the girl, you go on a vacation trying to forget her. She shows up there with the guy that she's, she's now dating. They break up. Yeah. I mean, it's only been, at that point in time, it's only been a week. Right. So the the feelings are obviously still there, but then he kind of proved it to himself that, you know, maybe they're not. And then the last scene from the movie is just the whole Dracula musical that's come to fruition however many months later, back 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 home. And Bill Hader's getting super into it. Uh and again, I, I would I would I was into that last song. I was into the original Dracula song that he sings at the bar. I'd go see I'd, it. I'd see this show. I'm I'm telling you what, big time. All right, so did we forget any scenes? I don't think so. I think we, I think we hit most of the major ones. So I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll cover some of them, like when we talk about quotes, but um, I think we got most of the major ones. All right, so let's talk High Fidelity. Let's talk about some quotes from, or some scenes from High Fidelity. High Fidelity. So, I mean, even pretty much the, like one of the first scenes, but it's the, it's the introduction of Barry. It's the introduction of Barry. Um, he walks into the record store and he's playing air guitar and they're listening to some kind of melancholy music. Rob had just, you know, gotten, you know, railroaded by Laura. And he kind of walks in and he's like, he, he, he doesn't pay attention. And all of a sudden he stops, he listens and he says, holy shit. What the fuck is that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then he goes and he, he, he ends up changing the tape and then, he turns it all the way up and it's walking on sunshine. 
and he starts clapping around to it and he starts dancing around and and eventually Rob has enough of it and he he turns it off and eventually you know basically Barry says here's the thing I made that tape special for you my Monday morning special my Monday morning for you special and Rob says what's well, fucking Monday afternoon you should get out of bed earlier and they talk about it being a conversation starter or whatever but just like how he gets introduced to the film is just like, it just kind of yeah. punches you in the face right away. Well, yeah. Like, and then like sh- shortly thereafter with Barry, no, totally. And, that, and that's the thing is Barry, he's just so over the top. He's so obnoxious. It's, he's it's su- crazy. He's such a pretentious <laughs> asshole too. And so here's another one. There's the customer comes in and he's looking for something like a, he, he wants to look for the song. I just called to say, I love you for his daughter. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and at that? some point, no, no, <laughs> no and it goes do you have it yeah you tell me where can it is I, no 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 can, no can i get it no no <laughs> no 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 <laughs> and then he leaves <clears throat> and of course you know rob is like what, what the hell are you doing and he says a cosby sweater that fucking so he's, he's making now he starts making fun of rob and then he says this quote which i think is great top five musical crimes perpetuated by stevie wonder in the 80s and 90s some question <laughs> is it in continue. fact unfair to criticize a formerly great artist for his latter day sins is it better to burn out than to fade away like he's he's mocking stevie wonder like and he says I mean, how, just like that how holier than thou do you have to be to, to, mock, to mock a customer mock the owner and then mock stevie wonder basically all in the same one minute span <laughs> well and right? even before that he's like there's no he starts arguing with the customer he's like there's no way your daughter likes that song oh, oh wait is she in a coma that's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, all right. Well, Barry is the worst, but but great great it's, scenes with him though. A lot of the great scenes are with yeah. Barry. Um, another good one: the phone call with Allison's mom. So this is after he he starts going back, you know, talking to his top, you know, rehashing his top five breakups, and he starts with Allison Ashmore, the the girl who broke his heart in middle school. Calls her house, talks to her mom. And basically says, he says, hi, I'm her first boyfriend. And she said, I hate to quibble with you, but uh, she married her first boyfriend. Kevin Bannister is her first and only boyfriend. <laughs> and he said, you've got to be shitting me. He's like, no, I'm, I'm not. She's Mrs. Kevin Bannister. I think they said they live in Australia or anything like that. And he hangs up the phone. And then all of a sudden, he's fine. And now he wants more. And then he starts talking to um, uh, he starts talking to Bruce. Yeah, which is so. And and if you haven't seen this movie, just just to we should have mentioned this earlier. But High Fidelity, he's broken up with his girlfriend, which we mentioned, and now he's going back and like reminiscing and trying to figure out what happened with all of his previous relationships. So the so first one go- on the list is Allison. This is his high school girlfriend. He's going through his top five all time breakups, and he's trying to he's reconnecting with them to try to figure. Well, he eventually reconnects with them to try to figure out what went wrong how come how come this keeps happening to me how come i keep meeting girls and then they leave me and then i meet girls and they leave me and i meet girls and they leave me yeah so i i I misspoke that's not as this is like his grade school girlfriend the next girlfriend is penny and that's his high school girlfriend that's so he's like he's trying to figure out why she dumped him and he meets with her and then she tells this whole story about how he broke up with her because she wouldn't put out and she's devastated. And then she goes around and starts sleeping with people and basically kind of ruins her life. And it's this like deep moment that you think that Rob would be like, oh my gosh. And he, <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so sorry. 
in this scene, she leaves. He turns the camera and says, oh, my God, you're right. I broke up with her. I, I should have been doing her. I, do, I should have done this years ago. He, he doesn't even like hear what she's saying and how sad no. she is and how much he fucked up there. It's yeah, immediately. It's, oh, yeah, this is a good oh, thing. I, I need to keep doing this. <laughs> I should have done this years ago. And then he says, actually, can I get, get the check, please? Yeah, <laughs> and then he, he instantly I mean, it's just he's completely moved on and then he's going to something else. Yeah. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> he's pretty self-involved too. Now that I'm thinking about it, I, I Barry obviously is, but he's more of like a holier, like superior superiority complex. Rob is very self-involved. So it's so here. Yeah. Well, here's another example of him being self-involved. And so Laura comes to get all of her stuff and they're talking oh. and he's like, what are the chances yep. of us getting back together again? She says 9%. And he is so excited by that, that and the fact that he, ha- she has not slept with her new boyfriend yet that she's living with Ian. He's more excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. And it starts playing. We are the champions and he's so excited. And he says, he immediately goes out and sleeps so, with Lisa, but character, and sleeps with Marie to sell yes. <laughs> right away. Very self-involved right away. Um, Another one that you know, another one that I like is um, so Laura's dad ends up dying, and then she calls Rob and tells her about it because she never told her dad that they broke up because her dad really liked him, so she she wanted him to go to the funeral, and then you know he tells he tells Barry and Dick that yeah she died, and then Barry says Barry starts the list because one of the t- obviously a top five it's a, it's all about top five lists, so it's. You know, top five songs about death, and Barry goes on to talk about, you know, leader of the pack, and tell he said, tell Laura I love her. Laura's mom, bring the house down. Laura's mom could sing it, and then um, Dick says, uh, actually, and this is actually the the movie that introduced me to the song. He's they start talking about that, and Dick says, "Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald" by Gordon Lightfoot, and Jack Black. Jack Black says, "Bastard, that's so good. That should have been mine." <laughs> Yeah. Well, but then at some point, Rob Rob gets in a fight with Barry and starts like stra- like fake strangling him and slapping him on the face <laughs> because he starts singing the night Laura's daddy dies. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. vagina sucks. Yeah, vagina sucks. Whatever. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good one. So, and it, what's kind of cool about this movie is there. I mean, there are a lot of like set pieces that are just in the store. And and I guess it's just kind of telling the story of Rob and like basically this is where he lives his life all the time, but him harassing Ian, is so it's so it's like a montage a almost. One. But but he's he's making the phone it's, calls. It's it's in his head. Yeah, it's in his head. He's, well, he's he's harassed calling her and is calling and hanging up and he's out outside in the rain, and then Ian comes to visit him in the store and of course I mean this is a pretty great scene the hallucination <laughs> hallucination. Where they all just start jumping on him and beating the crap out of him, and like, 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 Grab the air Barry gets involved. Oh yeah, yeah. Dick pulls the air conditioner out of the wall and smashes Get it, it on man! Him. And smack. Yeah, it's. And like I said, it ends up being a hallucination the whole time. He's just sitting there going, "Okay." He doesn't say anything, and then he just, yeah. and then he just walks out of the store. Right. And that's it. Um, the Evil Dead Two conversation, because mm-hmm. this is this is immediately after. You know, Laura says we haven't slept with each other yet, and then all of a sudden Rob starts upset. Like he goes out, sleeps with Marita Sal, comes back in, and then leaves her apartment, starts walking away, starts talking to the camera again. He's like, "Yet, 
What did Laura mean by yet? What does that word, what's that mean anyway? What's that even mean yet? So he kind of, he, he puts it to Barry as, well, what would it mean to you if I said, I haven't seen Evil Ted 2 yet? He said, I'd say you're a fucking liar. You saw it twice, once with Laura. Oops. <laughs> and, and, and once with me and, and once with me and Dick. We were, we were talking about how the guy was making bread of shotgun ammo off stage in the 14th century. And he just, he, they just, he just keeps going around in circle trying to figure out, like, trying to get someone else's opinion on what is, when someone says yet, what does that mean? Does that mean they're not going to do it? Or does that mean they're eventually going to do it? And at first, you know, Barry says, well, you couldn't have wanted to see it. Otherwise, you couldn't want to see that bed. Otherwise, you would have seen it already. It's like, you're right. I'm not going to see that movie. He's like, but the word yet. No, no, I think you're you want to see that movie. You just haven't gotten around to it yet. It's like, but in your opinion, and then, you know, Rob starts saying, in your opinion, would I see that movie? And he's like, how the fuck should I know? Probably. I never thought I'd say this, but can I go work now? <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I think it's, it's such a great way to, like, it's an analogy, basically, or metaphor for, for just, just the turmoil that someone has when they're dumped. And, and so he knows, he knows well, yeah. what the answer is. He knows the answer is, she's going to do it eventually, but he wants people to tell him the opposite. He's trying to convince himself that that's not what it means. And it totally is what it means. Without actually asking that question, he's asking something and, similar to it to say, yeah. well, what is, when you hear a question like this, what, or when you hear a statement like this, what does that mean? But the, but the, but the, 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 the way that he interacts with Jack Black and how Jack Black is so, he, he's so annoyed with this conversation and, and he can't, he can't like put past it. He's just talking about a generic movie. He's like, he's being so literal. Yeah. He has no concept of like the, <laughs> the, the ulterior motive that Rob is going after, whether he does or he doesn't. Yeah. He's just ignoring it and taking it, taking the question at its face and saying, right. you already saw it. What are you talking about? So Rob's dad has died at this point. I'm sorry. Laura's dad has died at this point and Rob goes to the wake and I, I like the wake side or the wake scene a lot because he's just sitting there next to Joan Cusack and people keep coming up and say, like, telling her, I'm so sorry. And they're talking about Laura and they're just completely blatantly ignoring Rob. And every time he tries to say something, they go, this isn't about you, Rob. This is about Laura's dad. And he's like, I can, I can just keep here. I can sit here, just keep taking it. Or I could stand up for myself. <laughs> he's just, he's just getting harassed the whole time. Everyone just hates him. Just stink eyed well, constantly. Well, again, because it's it's also like so sub, it's so subversive and so passive aggressive. Where like, because the friend comes up and says, "It's just," or I think it's her sister comes up and says, "It's just so hard when you put all your energy into one aspect of your life, and it doesn't work out." <laughs> and he's standing right next to him, and and the sister even looks at him when after Liz says that, it's like, uh, uh, he's like, and he's like, yeah. "Don't mind me. Just pretend like you're talking about someone else." <laughs> right. Well, and, and then it is very nice. This is a very nice moment. He leaves. He apologizes to Laura. She, she goes after him. Yep. And then eventually, like that, it's kind of the next scene. It's kind of the same scene for the most part. He's sitting in the rain, getting rained on at the be- at the bench, and he jumps over the bench to hide. And she pulls up. It's like, hey, what are you doing? You gonna lie <laughs> in that sit- flower bed all night? Yeah. <laughs> and then and then they end up, you know, doing it in the in the car. And then they're kind of back together again a little bit after that, right? And, and Basically. And this kind of leads to a really great scene is when they put on that concert for the two, the two kids, Justin and what's the other kid's name? I'm not going to remember his name. The two Vince. skaters. Vincent? Vincent? That sounds right. Vince? Yeah, sure. I think it's Vince. I can't remember. I'll go with that. 
but the two skaters outside that have been robbing from him, you know, they're, they're like DJs and they put on this concert. So the musicians, the, yeah. But the headliner is Jack Black's band. And he says, they're previously Sonic Death Monkey. They're on the verge of being Kathleen Turner Fruit. Overdrive. But currently they are Barry Jive and the Uptown Drive. And the, and the Uptown Five. And they so sing, funny. Let's Get It Let's On. Let's Get It On by Marvin Gaye. Well, and even and, and again, another scene before that when he's when they when they before they have the concert, he's he talks to Barry and he's like, because Laura's like Barry's band said they open. He's like Barry. He goes to him and says, "I'll give you ten percent of the I'll, I'll give you ten percent of the door if you don't play." He's like Rob, we're getting that anyways. It's like I'll give you twenty percent. Come on, man, we need to get a hundred percent of the door. That's how much <laughs> it means for me not to hear you play. He's like, well, he's, but, like but, he's like, he's like, Rob, Rob, we need the gig. He's like, we're called Sonic Death Monkey. He's like, Sonic Death Monkey. He's like, he's like, yeah. And if and if Lauren or Bourgeois lawyer friends don't like it, screw them. Let them fucking rent. We're Sonic fucking Death Monkey. And then he walks away. Yeah. Well, and, and then they're good. And that's what's great about it is that, is that they're they're freaking awesome. And he's just super impressed. And you know, and and again, this is before. Is this before Tenacious D? I'm pretty sure. I mean. This is 2000, so I don't know when Tenacious D actually... I mean, Tenacious D exists, but the Tenacious D, like the Pick of Destiny, the movie, and like all of the specials, oh, I, I don't think, I don't think, I we're, think we're, rock, we're rocking and rolling yet. I don't think they were. I think that came later. Yeah. I want to say. Yeah, 2006 is, 2000, is to the Pick of Destiny, so this is, this is stuff a few years later. Or that's okay. a few years later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, I think we need to m- mention a little small category, which a little, little small uh, scene that has to do with Dick's girlfriend. And, and animals. Yeah, and they figure <laughs> out that Barry and Rob figure out that Dick has a girlfriend. It's just so shocking to them. It's just, and, and, and again, it's Barry being Barry of just being kind of like a smug piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. It's like, when it's, it's, Darlene, it's Darlene from Roseanne, too. Let's not forget. It is, yeah. It's like, where'd you meet this? Where'd you meet this bruiser at the bus station or whatever he whatever he says? Like, I, I met her at the store, and he's like, he says, "What's her name? Anna? 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 What? Anaconda?" <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's let's. I think is that is that about it? Have we covered all the uh, there's uh, scenes? There, there are so many good scenes. We'll just end up quoting the entire movie. But I know. So and I think gotta, for the sake of time, we can probably move on. <laughs> So if we had to pick our favorite forgetting Sir Marshall scene, I'm going with the dinner scene. I think, I just think that is so lovely and awkward. And, you know, you throw Jonah Hill in there at the beginning and just, and I would even like, like kind of, like kind of like group that in with the sex scene as well. That's my favorite scene from that one. Um, and I would have to say probably the, like the, the entire kind of first date so where they start off and then she just goes ape shit and then they have to run away and then they go to the bar and he does the Dracula thing and she kind of because that's kind of the first time that they that they really kind of connect and and I just really like him singing the Dracula song like in a bar that's just totally out of place. Yeah, we kind of forgot to mention the the the, the beach scene. That's pretty good too. <laughs> He goes, oh, I know that guy. He's, I knew him from the breakfast buffet. And he just punches him. Say the breakfast <laughs> buffet, bitch, or something, whatever he says. <laughs> uh, okay, high fidelity, favorite scene. I'm going with the beatdown of Ian, the hallucination. I just, That's a good one. 
I always forget. I, I even watched it again two nights ago. I, I forget it's a hallucination until it, they, they, they snap out of the hallucination. I'm like, oh yeah, that, that didn't actually happen. It's just so, it's so seamless. And they, don't, they don't allude to it being a hallucination at all until after he's getting smashed by the <laughs> air conditioning unit. <laughs> what do you got? I'm probably going to say um, the the uh, the the square middle, you know, the the square middle-aged guy scene where Jack Black just rips him for wanting. I just I just called to say I love you by Stevie Wonder and just kind of that, just kind of that whole connect that you know that thing and then the aftermath of it and then Rob slapping him around and just a Cosby sweater a Cosby sweater. Yeah, that's a pretty great scene. It's um, yeah, it's a good one. Okay, so there's too many. There's lot, I, lot, there there are too many, but like if I had to pick one, I, I would pick that one. But I could probably pick like ten of them. Yeah, let's go into music because there's a lot of good music in both these movies. For forgetting Sarah Marshall, the main song that stood out for me is the "Love You Madly" by Cake, which Cake is just a fantastic. And the, a lot of the other songs though are are written specifically for this movie. They're originals. Totally. So we've yes. got we've got the Dracula song, which is actually called Dracula's Lament. We've got Inside You, which we already mentioned before. And then there this is another song that is 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 would would totally sell again, would make money if they actually released this. It's called We've Gotta Do Something. And they kind of do like a preview of the music video of of Infinite Sorrow and all the mm-hmm. snow in the in the airport. Just just kissing and and like hugging on different groups of people. Like there's like a group of rabbis walk by, a group of nuns walk by. Here come the priests, and he's like humping them and kissing them and, and doing all this weird shit to them. And it's just, I mean, and the song's kind of catchy. I gotta tell you, all all of these songs are pretty catchy. The originals, which is impressive. They are. Uh, High fidelity goes a little bit. It obviously goes into a little bit different direction where it's it's all. Pretty well, for the most part, some well-known songs. So you have like I Want Candy by Bow Wow Wow is playing when they you know do the flashback with um, Penny. 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 No, that was, no, that was, that was Crocodile Rock was with Penny. Um, oh, no, that's the Allison. 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 That was Allison. Um, Walking, on Shun- Walking on Sunshine, I Can't Stand the Rain by Ann Peebles. Uh, the River, Bruce Springsteen, Baby, I Love Your Way, Peter Frampton. It's actually sung by Marie DeSalle in the in the, in the movie, but she does the cover. We Are the Champions by Queen, something that you already mentioned. Um, Tonight I'll Be Staying Here With You by Bob Dylan. And then the, actually the song that plays at the end of the movie, I believe, and then When I Fall In Love With You, It'll Be Forever, is Stevie Wonder. But then also, like, just in the context of the the fact that they work in a record store, you have references to an early punk band, the stiff little fingers when actually that's when Dick meets Anna for the first time. And then another, actually another great, uh, a good scene is the, the beta, the beta band where he, we talk about the quote of I will now sell five copies of the three EPs by the beta band. <laughs> so if we're, if we're picking what movie has the best soundtrack, I mean, I, it, I think it's got to be high fidelity just because there's so yeah. many classics. But there's but so I, much music. I mean, it's a surrounded by music. I mean, that's gotta, that's, a, that's a main theme of the entire film. But we do have to tip our caps though to Jason Siegel and the rest of the writing crew 
for writing all these original songs that are that are so cleverly written that match with the theme of the movie but are also catchy at the same time absolutely so all right so we got to throw some facts in here because there are some fun little little tidbits some nerd facts so we're just going to kind of pop back and forth in this one let's start with forgetting sarah marshall the film is actually based on jason siegel's experience breaking up with linda cardellini as well as three other breakups with unspecified women and Siegel said that the naked breakup did not involve, involve Cardellini, but she, and she was a great girlfriend. So he wasn't mad about it, but it like kind of inspired. I mean, I'd be, I'd be devastated if I broke up with Linda Cardellini. Are you kidding me? She's, she's great. Yeah. Yeah. Janet, the, my wife knows that I have a, a, a huge crush on her. So, and I have, I have, I have since, what was the first ER? thing she was in? ER? She was in ER. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. She was in ER. I was going to say the movie, the TV show she was with, with Jason Siegel in. Oh, is it? Oh, what's it called? It, it was one season. Freaks and Geeks. Yeah. Freaks and Geeks. Thank you. Yep. Since then, <laughs> I've been all in on Cardellini. Lots, lots of big people in that show. Yeah. There are a lot of mainstream people in that show for sure. So actually, when. Um, Jason Siegel is actually singing the Muppet Show on the piano. When he's when he's when he when he's, he goes upstairs at some point in time and he's and he's playing the piano while he's crying. He's actually singing the theme song to the Muppet Show, and then he would go on and then later write and star in another Muppet movie. Yeah, this is kind of interesting. All the Snow the, was originally written with Charlie Hunnam Hunnam in mind, the guy from Sons of Anarchy. I can't see that at all. You know, the only time I could picture that is is at the end of the movie when all this snow is waiting for the limo driver and he's got that weird hat on and that outfit, like the chain, the chain wallet. That's the only time in the movie I was like, okay, I can see Charlie <laughs> Hunnam wearing this outfit and acting like this. But everything else, though, I just don't. I don't think he can pull off like that flamboyant, like voyeur kind of, you know, personality. <laughs> Personally, I, I, I don't, I don't, I may, I don't, and I don't know. Maybe he does. He have the voice to do it because he would have to sing inside you. Mm-hmm. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. Who knows? Um, yeah. Another fun fact. When the film was first released, Universal promoted it by hiring skywriters to fly over cities and billboards, displaying messages like, I hate you, Sarah Marshall. And you suck, Sarah Marshall. <laughs> Real life women named Sarah Marshall got calls from their friends asking if they were having any trouble with their husbands or boyfriends. Some complained to the authorities, but were told under the First Amendment there was nothing they could do to stop it. I love it. What great press. That is awesome. Kristen Bell was actually in a movie about killer phones, which they which is referenced during that dinner scene. And and, so and awesome. Siegel and Stoller didn't did, weren't aware of it. It's actually called Pulse and it came out in two thousand six. That's so awesome. All this just goes I mean, what it's just a ludicrous ludicrous uh concept. Ludicrous just idea. Oh, you pick up the phone. Hello. Uh, uh, just don't answer the phone turn your phone off <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's true Siegel actually got the idea for the crime scene scene of a crime after he guest starred on CSI I mean again remember the show is called crime scene colon scene of the crime what a scene stupid, of the crime what a stupid title so stupid um, Mia Kunis it was speaking of her she actually auditioned for the lead role in Knocked Up but didn't get the part it went to Katherine Heigl instead. 
I'm glad. Catherine Heigl pulls that off just because she's so mean. She's not a very yeah. nice person, apparently, in real life. Apparently, yeah, we've there are some things, yeah. I just I don't think Mila Kunis could pull off that like pretentiousness again, and that's and again not to keep using that word, but she does kind of pull like play that play into that role pretty well. Heigl does. No, absolutely, totally. So Siegel wrote the song "Inside of You" as an attempt at quote the worst song your ex girlfriend's new boyfriend could sing in front of you. End quote. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah yeah it's totally <laughs> yep and this is actually so this fact is interesting because when you when you hear this and then you think about the movie you can kind of you can totally see it uh so while writing the script while writing the script Siegel was given advice from Judd Apatow and told him quote I want the first draft you give me to be a drama we'll make it funny it's going to be funny because we're funny and we're going to add jokes and the people we will cast will be funny, but the reason people will see it and see it again and again or connect to it is because of the underlying drama. And like, when you hear that, like when you actually think about the movie and like, if you strip the comedy away, you can kind of see that like, it could have been a drama had you not added all this outlandish stuff to it. Yeah. I think it totally makes sense. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it's kind of, and they, he knows how talented they all are. They can add humor to it as they're going through it. You can make anything hey, funny, even if it starts out dramatic. Totally. Yep. High Fidelity. Fun facts about High Fidelity. John Cusack and the screenwriters wrote the script with Jack Black actually in mind for the role Barry. He nearly turned it down, but then he reconsidered. Apparently, director Stephen Frears convinced him to join the cast, which, I mean, without that guy in it, you know, it's still a good yeah. movie, but he really ties it all together. He really, he, not to say that he makes the movie, but he comes damn close to it. Uh, John Cusack originally wanted Bob Dylan for the part of the Bruce Springs, for, for Bruce Springsteen's cameo part, but Dylan was unavailable. I'm glad it was Springsteen because you could understand him better. I'm not yeah. sure you can understand Bob Dylan very well, very well. And that, and like that whole, like, kind of, you know, him sitting there playing the blues, you know, on the guitar, talking about, yeah, you just, just call him up, see how they've been, and, See how they're doing. Like that just feels like a Bruce Springsteen thing to do, and not really a Bob Dylan thing to do. Yeah, like just real cool. Like, hey, man, yeah, that's cool. Just call your old girlfriends. It'll be all right. Just call them up. <laughs> see how they're doing. Make your peace. So this is actually, believe it or not, the ninth film in which John Cusack and Joan Cusack have been in together. And some of the other ones are Class in '83, Sixteen Candles in '84, Grandview USA in '84, Broadcast News in '87, Say Anything in '89. Gross Point Blank in 97 and Cradle Will Rock, which is in 1999. They've been in a lot of movies together. That's a lot. Interesting, especially, obviously, hopefully, if you're listening to this, you've seen these movies. Otherwise, you don't understand the word we're talking about. John Cusack did not want to break the fourth wall. The hmm. fourth wall being talking, speaking to the audience, speaking to the camera instead of ignoring them. Like most movies don't talk to the camera in order to capture the contemplative persona of the novel's main character. The film's writing team suggested modeling its narration after Michael Kim's film Alfie in which Kane regularly addresses the audience straight on. Cusack was hesitant telling the New York times in 2000 quote, I vetoed that idea. I thought there'd be too much of me. It was only after director Stephen Frears joined the team that Cusack regained confidence in the device. And you come I mean, I you can't okay. see that movie without him speaking to the, without letting everybody know what's going on inside his head. 
Well, yeah, let's let's loop back around to that at the end here because that's a, that's a really important, I think, device that they use in the movie. Totally. 66 real music artists are named throughout the movie. I didn't know there were that many. I mean, it makes sense. There are a lot. There are a lot, and they do a lot of top five lists. That's true. The top five that, list of top five track one, side ones for albums. Like, yeah. They're naming... And talking about musical references and musical influences and well, yeah, yeah, just a, a lot of a lot of music in it. The script is also peppered with nods to bands and artists invented for the movie, including Licorice Comfy, Marie DeSalle, The Kinky Wizard, Sonic Death Monkey, Kathleen Turner, Overdrive, and Barry Jive and the Uptown Five. However, you know, obviously the the last three are all Jack Black bands. Speaking of Jack Black's band, his actual band, Tenacious D, performed at the post-premiere party of the uh, of the screening of the film. And Marie DeSalle's CD, if you there's there's a very brief scene where he's putting the CD into the CD player, and if you look at it, you can see that it includes songs like Ghostbusters, Baby Got Back, My Heart Will Go On, and also Hanson's Mbop. So it's just a CD of covers. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's get into some quotes. And we've already, we've already said a lot of them during this, this podcast, but there are some we kind of left out. So Andre the Giant, out of the shot, please. When life gives you lemons, just say fuck the lemons and bail. I mean, Kunu. And then another Kunu. There's a couple more Kunu. Oh, the weather outside is so weather. weather. <laughs> and then finally, oh, right. You're that guy who works for Kaiser Permanente? <laughs> funny story about funny story I, about guys are permanente is because i was watching sports center this morning and they had like a press conference from the oakland A's, and in the backdrop of their press press conference kaiser permanente that's awesome <laughs> it was i've said good. i've said that to people just out of nowhere like zero context and most people know that quote that's good uh, some others uh, are those sad tissues or happy tissues <laughs> yeah and then another good one when he comes back when he gets done with hawaii he starts singing every everybody hates you everybody wishes that you were dead peter you suck peter you suck peter music is fucking terrible peter you suck peter you gotta you sing suck. it but you gotta sing it peter you I, suck peter you suck that. peter you don't do anything of value peter you <laughs> suck Go write some music, but instead you sit and write these bullshit songs. It's so self-loathing. Go see a psychiatrist. I hate the psychiatrist. Go see one anyway. I'm not gonna. He's just, he's just losing his mind playing the piano. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, Aldous Snow talking about uh, Jonah Hill's or Michael the Waiter's demo that he slipped him. I was going to listen to that, but then I just carried on living my life. <laughs> Well, and then there's another another really subtle J- Jonah Hill one that he says when he goes to take Peter's plate at breakfast. And he goes, I'm not, I'm still working on that. He goes, oh, okay, I'll just go fuck <laughs> myself. <laughs> More Kunu. Yeah. I like her hair. I wonder if the carpet matches her pubes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Come on, keep I once, there's a few more. I want, there's a few more Kunus there. <laughs> I once saw a guy beat up, a guy beat up with a starfish. And then Peter says, that's ridiculous. Kunu, that guy was me. <laughs> uh, and then Peter's getting in that argument with, with one of the guys that works there. 
and, he, and he's crying. He stopped crying. He goes, stop crying. You're acting like a baby. And Peter says, really? Because you look like a gigantic baby. I'm sorry. I didn't mean that at all. <laughs> that's, that's actually have to slaughter the pig or the boar. <laughs> that's awesome. Let me say, if God was a city planner, he would not put a playground next to a sewage system. That's, yeah. It's Jack McBriar saying that. It's Jack McBriar saying that. Oh, God, please take my eyes, not the shirt. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, just the song from Infinite Sorrow. Old as ancient skies, I've had these wandering eyes, but you took me by surprise when you led me inside of you, inside you. And then Tony Hill starts singing along, inside you, there's got to be some part of me inside, inside of, you. of you. And it keeps going. That song is, is great. It's so beautiful. It's, it, it re- and it really is the worst song you could ever possibly hear. Oh my God. Your new boyfriend, or your ex's new boyfriend singing about her in front of you. So if I'm picking a quote that I like the most, it's, it's probably the take my eyes, not the shirt, just because I say that all the time. <laughs> I got just to, for some reason that's been ingrained in my brain is something that I should say if I spill something on or what, something like that happens. That's just a, a go-to quote for me. So that's my favorite one. What do you got? Uh, it's got to say, when life gives you lemons, just say, fuck the lemons and bail. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't really keep, I don't really know numbers, you know, but I guess if I had to say how old I was, it'd be... 42 fuck Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) all right so high fidelity quotes and and these are like deeper you know what i mean like they're not quite like the one-liners they're more they're more conversational they're like inner monologues they're not actual inner dialogues with 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 rob but because he's saying them out loud they're like outer dialogues that he's having in his brain anyway i'm not explaining very well but so he says yeah yeah you, you know what i'm saying like it's basically what he'd be thinking but he's saying it to the fourth wall. He's breaking the fourth wall and saying it to the audience. Definitely, yeah. So what came first, the music or the misery? People worry about kids playing with guns or watching violent videos. That some sort of culture of violence will take them over. Nobody worries about kids listening to thousands, literally thousands of songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery, and loss. Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? Like that's, <laughs> that's very, that's very thought-provoking. That's the, first line, that's the first line of the movie, basically. Yeah, it's like okay, it's, that's the, that's the kind of movie we're about to watch. It sets the tone right that's, there. That is the kind of movie we're gonna watch. So another yeah. one where he kind of realizes like what he, what went wrong with Laura. He says, "I can see now. I never really com- I never really committed to Laura. I've always had one foot out the door, and that prevented me from doing a lot of things like thinking about my future. And I guess it made more sense to commit to nothing, keeping my options open. And that's suicide by tiny, tiny increments. Again." More thought-provoking quotes out of this. Well, some of them, depending on who's saying them, but pretty much anything out of Cusack's mouth in this movie is going to be more thought-provoking and less comedy, like Jack Black. Yeah. Well, here's another one, too. So what am I going to do now? Just keep jumping from rock to rock for the rest of my life until there aren't any rocks left? Should I bolt every time I get that feeling in my gut when I meet someone new? Well, I've been listening to my gut since I was 14 years old. And frankly speaking, I've come to the conclusion that my guts have shit for brains. <laughs> love it. That, I love a, that line. It's a great moment of like self-realization. Like, yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm not as smart as I think I am. I need to start, start thinking more as opposed to just reacting like a moron. And then you know, speaking, this is actually the last line of the movie. You know, the making of a great compilation tape, like breaking up, is hard to do and takes ages longer than it might seem. You got to kick it off with a killer. 
to grab attention. Then you got to take it up a notch, but you don't want to blow your wad. So then you got to cool it off a notch. There's a lot of rules. Anyway, I've started making a tape in my head for Laura, full of stuff she likes, full of stuff that would make her happy. For the first time, I can kind of sort of see how that's done. And then fade into Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder. So not that some of these next quotes are kind of shorter and funnier. <laughs> Cusack talking about his employees. He said, I can't fire them. I hired these guys for three days a week, and they just started showing up every day. That was four years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and then Rob talking to, um, to Penny. When they break up, she tries to kiss him, said, what's the point? It never goes anywhere. And then he walks away. <laughs> and that's, like, that's another line that, that I use with my wife just as a joke jokingly <laughs> yeah uh so oh, I, oh we already talked about the cosby sweater one that's a good one oh, we didn't talk about <laughs> one of my favorite quotes also is when it's flashing back to him obsessing over Catherine zeta jones and he's screaming out the door out the window charlie you fucking bitch let's work it out <laughs> that's another then, line I've, i use <laughs> and then right after that you know, he talks about it. He's like, I lost it, kind of lost it all. Faith, dignity, about 15 pounds. When I came to a few months later, I found to my surprise, I had flunked out of school. Started working in a record shop. <laughs> yeah, and the rest is history. So uh, John Dillinger was killed behind the theater in a hail of FBI gunfire. And you know who tipped him off? His fucking girlfriend. All he wanted to do was go to the movies. And this is kind of during the part where he's like self-loathing and talking about how much women suck. <clears throat> no, Yeah. And then another one of those kind of, you know, there and gone in a second. Joan Cusack, Liz walks in, Joan Cusack's character walks in and says, hi, Rob, you fucking asshole. Stares at him for a few seconds and then turns around and walks away. Storms out, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and that's, scene. And that's, that's when, it. yeah, that's when she finds out that he, he cheated on her, basically. Yeah. Amora. This one is probably one of my favorites. The next one. Go ahead, say it. Okay. Um, and, and I don't know why. It just, it's, it's just interesting because I think people can actually connect to this. And it's, he's talking about the top five things he misses about Laura. And at some point in time, he says this. He says, I miss her smell and the way she tastes. It's a mystery of human chemistry, and I don't understand it. Some people, as far as their senses are concerned, just feel like home. And I think everybody has felt that at some point in time in their lives. 100%. This is kind of good, and this is for me, my OCD, the way I organize my DVDs, Blu-rays. And he's, organi- he's reorganizing his records, and he's explaining, <laughs> and he says, what, is, what do you say? It's not, it's not, it's autobiographical. Autobiographical. Is the way he's, and he says, and if I want to remember, if I want to find the song Landslide by Fleetwood Mac, I have to remember that I bought it for someone in the fall of 1983 pile, but didn't give it to them for personal reasons. <laughs> <laughs> I just yeah, it's great. That would be that would be kind of fun to do. That'd be very that, hard. That would be very very difficult to do. And then um, talking about Penny, and he's he would he said sometimes I got so bored trying to touch her breasts that I would try to touch her between her legs. It was like it was like trying to borrow a dollar getting turned down and asking for fifty grand instead. <laughs> yeah. All right. So favorite quote from this one. I mean, you know, the deepest one is definitely the guts for my guts have shit for brains, but. Well, I'm actually going to go. I'm going with uh, Charlie, you fucking bitch. Let's work it out. <laughs> Just because I, I laugh every time. And again, I use that in my normal, my regular conversation with it's, people. 
it's a it's a good one uh, that that ranks up there with oh hey rob you fucking asshole yeah. <laughs> um and i'm gonna go with the the uh the chemistry one you know talking about yeah. senses and sometimes just as you know sometimes as your feelings concerned you know sometimes people just feel like home and that's that's something that's always stuck with me you know in this movie talking about you know what you miss about someone or what you like about someone yeah that's that's why i said this movie's got a lot of a lot of really deep and meaningful dialogue and it's, and, and kind of concepts themes yep all right so on to let's 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 we're going to pick the best scene stealer from each movie so for forgetting sarah marshall I, I threw some nominees on here feel free to add more if you want i put paul rudd jonah hill and bill Hader as like as like basically every time they're they're on screen they are you know what actually i think we i think we can we can add all the snow into this one too i was just gonna say is he considered a main character or would he be a scene stealer i think it kind of goes either way i don't think it matters right okay all right so you know i i think i'm going with all the snow like he just he uh, steals yeah. the scene no matter what he's just so over the top and not in a bad you, way, I don't think. You kind of have to. Like, I think, I think with, if he's not on this list, I'd probably go Paul Rudd. Um, yeah, me too. But I think if he's on this list, I think you have to go him because he really does. Even if he's not doing anything, he just still kind of steals the scene just with his mannerisms. Um, and then High Fidelity. We've got Jack Black, Joan Cusack, and Tim Robbins. You could probably, I mean, other minor characters in it are Catherine Zeta-Jones, but she doesn't really steal the scene. Uh, Tim Robbins, fun fact, he was in the film for less than three minutes. He has <laughs> less than three minutes. And yeah. they, it was interesting because for someone that kind of has a prominent role in the film, being like the rebound guy, you only see him for actually exactly two minutes and 50 seconds. You got to wonder how he got in this movie because at this point he's pretty big. He's wearing that ponytail. He's just, he's just... the Steven Seagal ponytail. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I gotta go. I gotta go with Jack with Black here. Yeah, he probably, probably is. I'm I'm picking Jack Black here, but but Tim Robbins though for being only three minutes on the screen. You know, he he's he's got quite a pivotal role. He so totally he's on, honorable mention. So, is it black or is it? I'm going black. I think it's got to be yeah. Yeah, I agree. All right, so couple last couple things here, and this is just kind of wrapping this up as far as just just thoughts. First of all, the impact and nostalgia. So, for forgetting Sarah Marshall, I mean, the idea of a terrible breakup and all the things that ensue because of that, and and like the concept of self loathing, I think is you know nostalgic for most people that have gone through a breakup like this. Totally, maybe not like maybe not like this, but gone through a breakup period. And then we got to throw in there Judd Apatow. This is kind of one of his best producing roles, in my opinion. Like this, I think this movie just really comes together nicely. There's not, there aren't many moments of this movie. Like I, I don't, I don't. There aren't parts where I would say let's cut that out. Like I think every part of the movie like really is necessary to drive the plot. Believable that he would fall for Rachel at this point, and because it really only happens in five days, and so you know, there's not a lot of. Fil- I don't think there's a lot of fluff in there. There can't be. Because it's only a week-long vacation. So, yeah, no, I totally agree. Uh, high Fidelity? 
Well, I, I need to throw in here real quick that I, I've owned this movie, I think, three or four times now, different copies. And every time, especially in college, it kept getting borrowed, even post-college, kept getting borrowed and then stolen. I don't know why everyone kept stealing my high-fidelity copies. But I, I guess think it's I just still that good mine. of a movie. Yeah, it's just that good of a movie. You have my copy or you have your own copy? No, I have, I have my own copy. I don't think, I'm pretty sure I don't have yours. All right, all right. If, well, some, if, some, if, I, do, if I do, I'm sorry. Some people do out there, so you're welcome. And you can't help but connect with Rob and how he feels after a breakup because you've been there. I've been there. And there's part of us, well, while we can't connect 100%, but there's part of us that definitely feels the same way that he does and goes through the same things that he went through while dealing with a breakup. Right. And of course, the, the, the mixtape. I mean, I miss mixtapes. It's sad that we don't do those anymore. Now it's like, now it's like your playlist, basically. It's your on playlist your Apple, on Shuffle. On, on <laughs> Apple or on Spotify, right? That, that's, that's the new mixtape. And that's just sad. Those mixtapes were big. Mix CDs were big for me, I guess. I never really made well, mixtapes. Because you really had to put some thought into it because you only had a finite amount of time that you could work with. So you really had to make sure you were picking the right songs. And him describing like how to make the best mixtape is also a really good quote. I don't remember the whole thing, but he's just talking about how what order well, you gotta, to put music in there. You got to kick it off to grab some attention, and then you got to kick it up a notch, and then you got to cool it off a little bit, and then just kind of ride that roller coaster. Right. So what are some lessons learned? I think we learned a lot. We've already talked about this, but for forgetting Sarah Marshall, I mean, Sarah learned a big lesson here with this one, which is basically don't, don't take love for granted because the grass isn't always greener on the other side, which she learned the hard way. Totally. Um, Peter, he also learned some stuff. His complacency as a person can lead to staleness in a relationship, and you never know. And you also never know when you'll find love, when or where. Here's a lesson I learned that the Dracula musical would make millions of dollars, maybe billions of dollars. This might be like the next Hamilton. I, I mean, if you've ever seen Avenue Q, you seen Avenue Q? I have not. It's like an R-rated Muppet show, and it's uh, freaking hilarious. Heard of it, just yeah. Yeah. So this, this is would I would imagine this being like that, but also to the concept of Dracula with a little bit of you know, you know, love and things like that themes sprinkled throughout. I would see it. I'd pay a lot of money to go see it. Would you want it to be a comedy or would you want it to stay a drama? Uh, I think it can do both. I think it can have, I think it'd be a natural comedy because it's Muppets, right? So you've already kind of got, the, but I think having dramatic themes throughout, like, like the whole concept of like him not being able to die. And that's just kind of like a, a, a you know, like love never dies type concept. Sort of like Phantom of the Opera, I guess. Yeah. But also throw but throw some humor in there. I think it's going to be naturally funny because you've got Muppets dance, dancing around and stabbing each other with fake stakes. So, so almost like taking the same concept that they did when writing Sarah Marshall, write it as a drama and then yeah. we'll add the comedy later. Right. Basically. But I totally agree. I would see it in a heartbeat if it started touring. It goes, it comes to the Fox. I'm going. Yeah, and actually the puppets for the Dracula musical that are in the movie were made by Jim Henson's Creature Shop. So there you go. Oh, that is very cool. That is so some lessons learned from High Fidelity. And they're actually a lot of the same lessons learned here than in Forgetting Sarah Marshall, i.e. for Laura, 
You could say the same thing. The grass isn't always greener on the other side. She left Rob for Ian or Ray or whatever you want to call him and realizing that he's kind of a disaster and then ended up coming back to him. But not also Rob, the relationship kind of got stale. So he wasn't really thinking about the future, wasn't talking about the future. He was just kind of meh and she just kind of got sick of it and realized he wasn't really going anywhere and like this wasn't going anywhere. So she left him. Yeah, and this one does a good job of like having like it's really reflective and that he, he he like actually goes kind of back in time essentially not really back in time but he's able to reflect on all of his previous relationships yep. and that's okay to do to think about that but often revisiting them sometimes it's best to leave that those relationships in the past because I think that a lot of times we 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 don't remember things quite how they were we 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 focus on the positives and forget all the negatives right yes so it's, I, Exactly. It's kind of hard to put yourself in that mindset again, especially if you're talking about someone you dated 20 years ago. You're not the same person you were 20 years ago. Right. Um, and then a couple, they, they bring in a couple concepts in the movie just talking about just dating in general. And one of the concepts that Rob's character brings up is you got to punch your weight. When he talks mm-hmm. about dating Charlie, he was like, I was out of my, like, look at me, I'm a middleweight. You know, I was out of my class. Like, I can't, I I can't, I don't belong with a girl like that. I got to belong with someone, you know, that I'm is more on my level instead of, instead of her. And it's an interesting concept, whether you agree with it or not, doesn't really matter, but they, they kind of talk about it. And then they also talk about, I think something that's a little bit more, more controversial where again, Rob's talking to camera saying, you know, him, Barry and Dick agreed that, it's what you like is more important than what you are like. And it's a, you know, books, movies, TV shows, these things matter. Call me shallow. It's the fucking truth. Uh, yeah. I, I don't necessarily agree with that because, you know, in some cases, yeah, you are going to have similar interests and that's good. But in other cases, you're going to have wildly different interests and that's not necessarily a bad thing. But it's an interesting concept that they bring up. Yep. So when I was kind of thinking about this, for okay, to wrap this up, there are a lot of questions, I think, and, and I was having some nerdy thoughts as far as, are these questions that can be answered or not? Let's try and answer them right now. Forgetting Sarah Marshall, does one just go to Hawaii during a breakup? It's like, I'm just going to pop over to Hawaii? I've never I can done see, that. I can see the idea of going on a vacation. And not really going on a vacation, but just like getting out of town. Like, you just, uh, like, it was a five-year relationship. It just ended. I need to clear my head. I need to get, I need to get out of here, go somewhere and then come back and kind of reset. So, but Hawaii seems like an odd place to do that. Expensive. It's an expensive <laughs> trip. That too. Is the Oprah suite just always open? Like, does no one ever stay there except for Oprah? And who, who, who was the person that showed up that he, had, he got kicked out for? Uh-huh. Uh, D- Dakota Fanning, I think. Dakota Fanning. Or was it, it was either, or was it Taylor Swift? I can't remember. Oh uh, yeah. It might've been Taylor but here's my question though why are aldous and sarah not staying in there that is like, a better question like don't they have the money <laughs> like even if she got fired even if she's only a tv show actress he's a rock star i was gonna say both of them combined their earning potential or what they're earning at the time they, they can, can easily, afford the they can afford the kapua suite the kapua suite yeah <laughs> would rachel still have a job after sleeping with a hotel guest? 
uh, this whole thing, given given the Kapua suite away, sleeping with the hotel guest, kind of like creating some some real issues in the lobby. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, maybe, probably not. So this real life hotel is actually it's it's called Turtle Bay Resort and it's on Oahu. So you can actually go to this hotel. Kind of want. Not, not going to lie to you. Kind of want to go. No kidding. No kidding. Do Peter and Rachel stay together? Or for how long? I like. I think that. Sense. I think they do. I think they both learned a lot. I mean, she's moved, going to school now. Back, you know, back home. Yeah, back in the states, stateside. She took the leap. She followed him back. She 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 followed him back home. So, what does Sarah's career look like now? Yeah, how does that new show do? <laughs> like, what is her career path? What do you think happens as a result? I'm asking you, what do you think? Like, where, where, where does she go? Honestly, I think she stays a TV actress and she never makes the jump to features. Yeah, I think she throws in some, like, B-movies from time mm-hmm. to time. Some, like, stri- maybe maybe eventually she's on, like, the Hallmark Channel. Like, really, yep. really, really bringing some, home those Christmas specials. <laughs> some made-for-TV. You know, certainly not a bad career, making some good money, but she's not going to start starring in you know 500 million dollar grossing films and winning oscars i think crime scene scene of the crime is her is her peak yeah she's topped out at that point that was her 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 peak at 20 what six (laughs) so old she is yeah so i put on here does aldis sleep with the limo driver but actually i'm thinking rethinking this question how many people does he sleep with on the way from the hotel to let's say he flies back to Europe. How many people does he sleep with during that trek? How many other people did he sleep with while he was at the hotel? He just told he just oh. said one. Yeah. He said I'm the housekeeper he, and that was it. I'm thinking, he's, that. I'm thinking he sleeps with the limo driver. He sleeps with some type of stewardess. He maybe even club. sleeps Yeah, he maybe even sleeps with somebody in like one of those uh those um those, those airport lounges? Those the airport lounges. lounges. Yeah. So I'm thinking at least three, minimum of three. On the way there. I yeah. agree with that. Yep. Yeah. All right. So for high fidelity, <laughs> does breaking the fourth wall work here? I say yes. Totally. It has to. That's the only way this works. I don't think you relate well enough with <laughs> Rob's character unless he speaks with the fourth wall. I think he just like comes the only way... a real... Yeah. The only, way you... the only other way you could do it is if you had an inner monologue. But then he would just be standing around doing this, like just It'd be like expressionless JD on his Scrubs. face. Exactly. While while his inner monologue is going on for five yeah. minutes and he's just standing there just not doing anything. And that just doesn't work. Who picks Anyways. up Charlie's clothes in the hallway after while she, <laughs> after she's stripping? I think they go back and get them later. I mean, well, that's a pretty after they're done. I mean, I get it, but man, her neighbors must be like, who the hell is this voyeur, this person? Uh, The concept I thought of of people being dumped having kindred spirits, I can relate to that. I don't need to to elaborate on it, but but that's happened to me before. (laughs) (laughs) The, the, The overbearing mom that cries when the son gets dumped. Not because the son gets dumped, but because she really liked the girlfriend and now the son is alone. I love it. I think it's so great. N- that, that's not necessarily how my mom acts, but I know moms that act like this. And then, oh, and he, sure and then he gets so many goes, shut up, mom. That's some cold shit. Cold hangs shit. Up on it. 
<laughs> yeah, because she's she's just so sad that he'll never his her baby's never going to get married, and she he let well, another good one go. She's never going to have grandkids, and she's not sympathetic with him at all. No. <laughs> So how do, let me ask you this. How does the store stay open? Like, I mean, they, they don't, they don't seem to sell much. They hate their customers. How are they making I mean, money? He's probably not making much. He's probably <laughs> breaking. He's probably just barely breaking even. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they had that one busy day, but like for the most part, it's empty. And yeah, that's why he, that's why he could never pay Laura back the four grand because you don't have any money. Well, so what? So what happens to this record store long term? Is it is it is it like a vintage vinyl still? Is it rocking? Are they have they moved into the twenty first century with some? Well, I guess nowadays it's almost retro. Back like record stores would be popular again right now, but they they would have had they to are. survive yeah. for ten years, twenty years. No, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking. I think it turns into a side business because some other questions kind of lead me led me to that conclusion of. <clears throat> how did the record do the kinky wizards that three that three song ep that they put out did it was it a hit did it do anything is he is he now all of a sudden going to start producing he started this record label is he going to find more acts and that's going to be the primary and then the record store is just going to be the secondary or is he going to start that- djing again mm. maybe that maybe that's the long-term career choice he becomes his producer and kind of kind of moonlights at the record store that's what i think i think he I li- becomes I like a producer that. he still owns the record store but then barry and dick run it so i think there's a sequel in the making i guess is what we're <laughs> suggesting or a tv show oh, or a tv okay <laughs> so 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 if we're talking sequel i guess this is an important question are rob and laura still together how long do they do they stick it out this time i think they get married i think they're still together yeah Yep. I think that's, yeah, yeah, you know, he, he learns a lot of lessons in this. It's definitely Rob. Rob would be the one that would fuck this up. <laughs> totally. It wasn't, I don't, I don't necessarily blame her because she was just, no. she realized it was a no-win situation and wanted to get out and leave. Just wanted, just wanted him to grow up a little bit. And he, and he did. How weird is it, is Tim Robbins being the sexual mate? How, that, that's really awkward. Not, not him as a person, but his character, Ian, with this ponytail eating food with chopsticks all the time, uh, meditating, just very, very unique character. I don't know if Laura's into him. It, so you can take it. I think it makes sense. And here's why is because he is the complete opposite of Rob. And if you're going from yeah. one person, the, typically kind of the next person you find may not be on the other side of the spectrum like Ian is, but it's going to be someone a little bit different. Yeah, because you're gonna kind of you're gonna kind of course correct between like, wow, this person was, you know, really overbearing. So the next girlfriend I have is gonna be someone who doesn't give a shit what I do or whatever that may be. So I think that's what led Laura to him, and then realizing, holy shit, this is a disaster. I gotta get out of here. Well, and you mentioned earlier, I'm just kind of along the same lines of like weird relationship hookups. John Cusack definitely. He definitely overshot his where he's where he's at normally. He 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 was, oh, with, he a ten, was, he was with the ten with Lisa was, Bonet and he was punching like, above his weight class. Yeah, really sure. punching above his weight class. <laughs> I mean, she was with Lenny Kravitz and Jason Momoa in real life. I mean, those are some pretty heavy hitters. So yeah, all right. That Here's doesn't the hard make qu- sense. 
it's, it's tough. It's tough to convince me of that one, but you know, you never know. All right. Here's the hard question. Who's the winner? Which one wins? Forgetting St. Marshall or High Fidelity? I have to go with High Fidelity. Yeah. Are we going are we going to the tail of the tape? Or are we going oh, with oh. our personal opinions? That's fair, yeah. Well, it, I, I, you know, I kind of stopped circling things because a lot of things we were just talking about, we didn't ask. Okay, so um, High Fidelity has won more categories. It's won like four. For Green Star Marshall won a couple and a couple ties. So here's my take on it. I, I, I think as far as like a better quality movie, I'm going High Fidelity for sure. But if I just want to laugh a lot and be kind of silly, I'm popping in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Totally. It depends on it. There are two very different movies and it depends on your mood, but I would agree with that overall assessment. Both good though. Both totally good. So we, we forgot, we left out a few, we left out a lot. We we're, oh, let's we mention a couple one. movies. So people aren't pissed at like the ones that we could have included here. And there are a lot more, by the way, first off, let's not forget eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. That was big. Jim Carrey, Kate Winslet. That's actually, in my opinion, Probably Jim Carrey's best performance besides Truman Show. Yeah, he was really good in Truman Show. Uh, Waiting to Exhale. Uh, again, an amazing cast. Whitney Houston, Angela Bassett, Gregory Hines, Dennis Haysbert, Donald Faison, directed by Forrest Whitaker. An honorable mention. Yeah. Legally Blonde with Reese Witherspoon. I mean, let's not forget about the, the bend and snap is pretty, is pretty important <laughs> in cultural you know, cultural significance. Casablanca, Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman. Bergman, ranked by most publications as one of the top 10 greatest films of all time. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty great movie. 500 Days of Summer, which is a big movie, just about basically about a relationship and a breakup with Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Zoe Deschanel. And I just, I'm like obsessed with Zoe Deschanel. So yes, that's you why are. I put this one on the list. Yeah. Uh, one that was really close to being to, to one that was going to make the cut that we were thinking about making the cut crazy, stupid love with Steve Carell and Julianne Moore among others. Um, obviously Ryan Gosling's really good in that movie. And we are both big Emma Stone fans. So um, again, yeah. we thought that w- that one could have taken probably high fidelity's place, but we went with high fidelity instead. Yeah, definitely. Swingers is a big one. I mean, John Favreau is just sulking around after getting dumped the whole movie. So many quotes. That's Vince Vaughn's. You know, I would, I would never eat here. Never eat here. Couldn't touch it. Yeah, great, great movie. Great movie. Uh, another, another classic. Wedding Singer. Uh, Adam Sandler and Angela Featherstone, who plays Linda. But then it's also got Drew Barrymore and just a ton of other people in it and it's a great movie i just love john lovitz in it who's just he's losing his mind and i'm reaping the benefits (laughs) (laughs) this is one that we could have included but it was just almost too obvious because it's called the breakup and it's vince vaughn jennifer aniston i i the, the whole film is pretty fantastic and it actually is maybe a very accurate almost too real of a rendition of what it's like to break up with someone but then still live with them and and the and the the mind games they're playing on one another, even though they don't even really want to be broken up. So uh, you know, breakup breakup is a good movie. Totally, uh, War of the Roses, Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner. 
these two usually ended up together, but here's a classic death by chandelier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you, well, sorry, that was a spoiler. If you haven't seen the movie, that's how they die. They eventually they're fighting each other in this house and they somehow end up on their chandelier together and the chandelier crashes and they both die. <laughs> and it's this really <laughs> dramatic scene of Michael Douglas, like reaches out his hand to touch Kathleen Turner's hand and she like throws it away and they both die. <laughs> that's just a movie like from the eighties that I don't know why my parents like had me watch and it, it's pretty great. Um, and finally, not finally, there are a lot of other ones. Last one I want to mention though is Scott Pilgrim versus the world. And this is like a whole movie of kind of all of her exes, the new love life of Michael Sarah's. And it's got so many cameos in it. Jason Schwartzman, Chris Evans, Brandon Ruth, just to name a few. So many more. Love it. Lots of good movies. So, what's what? I think that was it. Yeah, that's it. So, if you if you have any other suggestions of 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 breakup movies that we forgot, because I'm sure we forgot some, shoot us an email or whatever something on social media, and we'll include them at the beginning of the next episode. I actually have one, and it's a film that we we recently experienced uh recently discovered megan recently discovered it called what's your number never heard of it never heard it's got anna ferris it also has chris evans in it but it's thought it, it's mm. kind of a similar concept of um high fidelity in that she she ends up breaking up with her boyfriend at the very beginning again goes with the same mm-hmm. theme and then she she starts making a list of how many people she's had sex with and she comes and then she reads an article that says, once you get to, once you get to 20 people that are 20 women that are 20 and over and like 96% of them don't get married. So she goes back through all the people that she had sex with because she can't have sex with someone new, but maybe she can rekindle the rekindle it with one of her exes. And then she, her number doesn't go up. Hence the once your number kind of thing. Oh, okay. It didn't, Rotten Tomatoes, it was terrible. Like, it was like 28% on Rotten Tomatoes, so it wasn't very good. But, like, Megan and I really enjoyed it. So, that's that's one that I would be remiss not to mention. I don't like those ratings. IMDb, Rotten Tomatoes, even though we included them, it's just like Yelp. It's just a bunch of people giving their angry opinions. If you like it, that's all that matters. All that matters. So, this was a fun new version of our podcast, and we're going to be doing some more of them like this too, right? Definitely. We are going to be doing a lot of them. Uh, yeah. But let's talk about thank yous. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you go first. <laughs> oh, man. I don't really have anybody to thank. Actually, what I was going to do is I was going to thank you. Because this, oh, yeah. this was kind of your, this, this concept was basically your brainchild of let's change things up a little bit, change the format. Maybe not permanently, but for a certain style of episodes. And let's pick pick something that both of us like and both of us know and just kind of compare the two within some certain guidelines. So I, I, I really enjoyed it. And I think doing these in the future is going to be a lot of fun. I totally agree. And actually, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a shout out. I'll thank my brother because <clears throat> he told me a while back, listening to some episodes, he likes it when we just kind of riff and just give our opinions. And so that's that's what a lot of this was, was just kind of us talking about things we like and dislike more things we yeah. like but so thanks brother yes so if you wanted if you want to give us any more show suggestions you can email us at nerd is a new cool podcast at gmail.com you can like or follow us on facebook 
and Instagram at Nerd is a New Cool Podcast, or you can follow us on Twitter at Nerd is a New CO2. In our next episode, we're gonna we're gonna actually be dropping some new things. We got a little a little fun little shortened episode called Nerd Bites, so watch out for that. That should be coming out pretty soon. More it may even stuff. come out. It may even come out before this, quite frankly. And then who knows? The, the next episode like this is gonna be we're gonna compare our two favorite last day of school movies, which should be pretty awesome. It should be pretty awesome. Got a few to choose from. It's gonna be hard to narrow it down to two, but I think it's gonna be good. We'll, f- we'll figure it out for you guys. So Definitely. All right. Well, until next time, talk to you then. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Bye-bye.